I remember my first year working here was hard. Some of the kids' behavior was terrible. And I said to my dad, like, you know, am I like, am I making a difference here at all? Like, you know, what are we doing? He's like, you know, what, like when these guys like see you in 10 years time, 12 years time, then you'll know. I'm really fortunate, like I said earlier, that I do get to see hundreds of young people that have come to our program, not necessarily ones that worked with me, that come up to me and say, oh, you're from Reach Out, Reach Out was amazing for me, Reach Out was great for my peers, it helped us have a place to belong to, it helped us put our time into something positive, it kept us out of gangs, it kept us out of crime, it helped me understand that I wanted to go to university, it helped me understand that I wanted to work in this industry, it helped me yeah, pursue those things yeah, and the people around it encouraged me and gave me love and support. G'day team, welcome to The Field Goal Blueprint and to episode 14. I'm your host Simon Ma and I created The Field Goal Blueprint to bring together a community of like-minded people to share ideas, tools and resources to help others find their greatness. If you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you shared it with at least one friend or you gave us a follow at The Feel Good Blueprint on social media. Thanks so much. My next guest is Mr. Peter Blackwell. He's the Chief Executive at Reach Out. Reach Out's a charity providing one-to-one academic and character mentoring for 800 disadvantaged young people in London, Manchester, Oldham and Liverpool. Pete started at Reach Out in 2004 as the sole member of staff in London. He was working at the time in the front line for his youth services in Hackney. Pete progressed to leading the London office and took on responsibility for Reach Out's fundraising work, whilst growing the charity in London to cover Hackney, Tower Hamlets, Camden and numerous other disadvantaged boroughs. He was appointed the Chief Executive in 2015 and has overseen incredible growth since his appointment. Pete also runs his own sports league business and serves as a school governor for the Petchley Academy. He has previously been a governor of two other schools and a trustee of the Hackney Winter Night Shelter. In this episode, Pete and I discuss the power of mentorship, education, values, and bringing out great character in young people. We also talk about the very real issue of gang culture in the underprivileged boroughs of London, where Reach Out is working very hard to help young people make better decisions. I've been a volunteer mentor with Reach Out for about five years now, and it's just such a rewarding experience. I've made lots of fellow mentor friends, working with the kids across all the different schools and underprivileged areas. It's just great to see them develop their character strengths, Um, and grew up to be fine young individuals and to know you've been part of that is a really special thing. As you'll see in my discussion with Pete, you can see why the organisation has such great values and great people. You can see he leads with his passion and that he really, really cares about the development of young people. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. It's glad, I'm glad to have you on. I had you on the list um, for a while because I've been a, a, a mentor at Reach Out for five years now. And um, I started in 2015 and I've, um, I've mostly worked at some of the schools. Um, obviously, you're mostly within the east part of London. But it's just, um, you know, to me, it's a really special organization. I've, I've gotten friends from it that are fellow mentors and it's, it's, um, it's a great group. So I'm, I'm pleased to get you on. Pete, I'd like to start with, if you could, just a, a bit of a sort of a, a background on yourself and what Reach Out is. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I'm the chief executive at Reach Out. I've actually been at the organization since 2004. Um, Reach Out was a tiny, tiny community project in Manchester where I studied at university. I met them as a volunteer. I only volunteered maybe five, six times. Um, and when I graduated, 
they had just got a commission to set up a project in London and I was asked if I would like to work the summer at that project in London. Um, and I thought, you know what, like, I, I was applying to grad roles. I'd just done a maths degree. I was applying to grad roles in investment banking. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I figured I would uh, follow a fairly conventional path. And back in 2004, I think everyone, everyone I knew followed a conventional path. It was like you kind of, your parents, especially like my mom's Chinese, um, she's a first generation immigrant. And for, for her, especially, it was like you became a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer sort of thing. Nothing else was really possible. Um, so I thought I would go and work in investment banking. I was applying for these jobs. And yeah, and I got asked to go and become a football coach on a little summer school that Reach I was doing for 10 kids in Hackney. And I thought, you know what, I'll do that. That sounds like fun. Uh, so I worked for them for two weeks. I had a great time. Um, and then I got involved in teaching maths, uh, a bit of the leadership of the program. And then they actually said, look, do you want to come and do two more weeks in Manchester? Uh, and, and this is a convoluted introduction, but it's probably a good story for you, so I'm telling it. Um, so I said, yeah, sure. And I went back to Manchester and I did two weeks in Manchester. And I had probably like some two, you know, definitely by that point in my life, like two most important weeks of my life. I taught maths, I taught football, uh, but I got asked to uh, kind of help one of the kids who was really struggling with his behavior on the program. He was the biggest kid. He was one of the oldest kids. Um, he would like, get into arguments and fights uh, and in class like when he had a maths class or an English class he would kind of be highly disruptive and really challenging like throwing like, throwing chairs around the room and stuff that kind of level so I was kind of asked as like the behavior person to see if I could kind of support this kid and he and I built a really strong relationship over a two-week period um, we got to the bottom of some of the issues one of them being yeah the key one really being that he had a really low reading age and he was really Despite being one of the big older kids, he was quite embarrassed about that. So whenever he was kind of put on the spot in lessons, he was very, you know, he got ultra defensive. That was his defense mechanism. And we, we kind of talked through it and worked through it. And I remember on the final day of the program, um, a couple of really big things happened on the final day of the program. So the first thing was in the morning in the English class, he got asked to stand up and read in front of the group by the teacher. And he was visibly uncomfortable. Um, and I remember he, he looked upset. He looked at his book like he looked at me he looked back at his book and then he stood up and he basically read it out and he read it out it wasn't great <laughs> but he read it all and then after the class he came bouncing up and he was really really proud of himself and i was really i was like quite struck by that i was like wow this like was a big deal for this kid and we did get him to the point where he could read in front of all his peers and not care and just be proud that he'd done it right and his best and that was important and then later that afternoon um they said to all the kids, this is the last day of our summer school. Well done. I hope you've had a great time. We're going to be back in September. There's going to be a weekend project. We'll see you all there if you want to come. And so again, this kid comes bouncing up to me and he's like, Pete, there's going to be a reach out every Saturday. But will you be there? And I'd already made the decision to move back to London, whatever happened. And I had to sort of say, look, man, I'm going to be going back to London. I'm really sorry. And he burst into tears. And again, I was really struck. I was like, wow, this was really important to this kid. Um, and I, yeah, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't grown up wanting to work in youth work, children's work, charity. It, it wasn't, yeah, I'd never thought about it really until Reach Out came along. And then we had these, these kind of series of moments with this boy called Kadeem, uh, who was 12 in Manchester. 
and yeah, and I was really struck. And you know, we said our goodbyes eventually. And I came back to London and thought, wow, that was a big deal. <laughs> and then, like the next day, reach out rang me and said, would you like to set up reach out in London? Uh, and I, was, I had to say yes. And and that's what happened. And I've been here ever since. So that's kind of that's kind of my my intro and, and where, where reach out came from. And and what we did is we grew it into an organisation that provided positive role models to kids who were struggling for one or more reasons. We asked schools to help us find those kids uh, and we created ways that we could reach these young people, give them a positive role model, give them something positive to be a part of, a group, uh, kind of a, an identity that they could buy into and, and, and feel value in. Um, and through that, we tried to help them with their schoolwork, help them to build confidence, to build self-esteem, to learn about the opportunities available to them and see that they could achieve what they wanted to put their minds to. Uh, and ultimately, we, we came, came to this thing about learning to helping them to build good character so that they could actually go and do all those things. And that's what we do today. We work with around 750, 800 kids a year at the moment, all face-to-face, -face, all one-to-one -one mentoring, people like yourself, um, around London, Manchester, Oldham and Liverpool. Um, and yeah, and we're really, we're, I'm really proud that it's a, a good organisation doing good work for some of, some of our country's most disadvantaged kids. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that, that's a really touching story. And I know that there's just hundreds, if not you know, thousands of those stories that are, you, you've heard, I suppose, through the years. And that's just one of them. And we'll get into a bit more a bit later. But I just recall even just my experiences over the, the last couple of years. And every time you have a new, a new kid that you work with, you know, I've worked with the, the young men, which I'm really passionate about developing um, the good character traits in young men it's really difficult like I, I saw parts of myself it's like every season or, or, or term sometimes you do have to say goodbye and that's sort of it and when when things change but it's about making that positive impact and it's those little moments even if you only get one of them or two of them that those really special moments you can see that kid flourish it's just an incredible thing so absolutely yeah. really really good and I kind of hope that I've been really fortunate because I've lived and worked in Hackney for 16 years so I'm really lucky to have seen basically kids I met when they were nine, 10, now grown men, which is amazing. Um, but even we hear stories and there was one of our events, one of the lads came along, he was like, must've been 20 at the time or 21. And he actually ran into his mentor from like seven years ago and they recognized each other and they had a really good conversation about it. And Bob was like, wow, man, I can remember you, you were like, great. And they kind of kept in touch and this, the lad's called Bob and the mentor's called Nick and Bob has been to Barclays where Nick works, they've been in touch and you would hope that, you know, somehow these stories find their way to maybe show you in the future, like all the great things that you did for these kids and where you gave your time was important to them because they will tell you that when you see them in the future. Um, and we do hear that and that's really nice as well. Yeah, that's great. And I, it's, you as a CEO, you, you know, you've clearly developed this organization and you've dri driven so many initiatives at community level. You know, I think about things like, um, you know, the London Marathon, um, you, you work with Virgin, you work with Barclays Bank. Um, I think you've got your own thing, uh, which is, I think, the Ballers League, which is that, is that a separate thing as well? Yeah, so I also, like, I have a lot of ideas and I like, I see a lot of opportunities. And I like meet a lot of, and I meet a lot of people. And between the three, I always feel like there's other cool things that can be done. So Ballers Leagues is um, a small business me and two friends run. The guys I actually met them through Reach Out, they were volunteers um, with our football club when we used to have a football club that supported the charity. Um, and yeah, the three of us kind of clubbed together a few years back and we decided we wanted to create a, a business together that was all about 
providing really great quality football leagues and we basically all organised tons of football anyway and at the same time found a way to put back into the community in, in ways that we could. So yeah, we run football leagues, our referees are actually pretty much exclusively ex-reach out young people or volunteers and yeah, it's a nice little business um, and what we also do is we try and run, we donate our our sports pitches, our kind of organisation referees to charities. Uh, I think at the moment, it's about 10 times a year between our three venues so that the charities can run football tournaments. We cover all the costs and the charities can then just raise money. Um, and we, we think that's another nice way that we can give back to the community that I, can, I guess we're from uh, more than anything. Yeah, because it, it all intertwines really well. I remember um, I was on a particular program where we'd have two hours with the kids on, 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 a, on a given weeknight and they'd do the first hour, which would be working on their character traits and a little bit of homework. But the second part, the second hour was them playing football, which is really sort of the carrot, you know, for, for most of the boys to yeah. go and do. And football is that, that sort of, that uh, I would call it like a, a vein throughout all of the whole thing is that binds a lot of it together, doesn't it? For, for the young yeah. men, especially. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to, if you if you want to work with young people who are, if, when you're working in youth work, there's there's a couple of key principles. Like you have to find a way to actually reach the young people who are most in need, the ones who need the support. Yeah, and then you once you've started a conversation with them, you have to engage them, right? And you have to give them something to buy into in order to be a part of it. Um, and that 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 was that's kind of like we always came at reach out from a point of yes there are things that we would you know xyz things that we want to do with the kids but how can we actually build this into something that they really want to be a part of because they must be want to be a part of it um you can people say you can take a horse to water you can't make a drink right so we had to get the kids to really buy into being a part of the program um and football was an amazing tool and it remains an amazing tool for not just being a carrot but actually very a very powerful way of showing young people how the importance of character uh, and actually helping them to build good character by practicing it in the things that they do in football. So, you know, that would be, you know, great examples, talking to the kids about how character helps people to be great footballers. And Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, whatever you may think of him, he is an outstanding example of the kind of performance character strengths of self-control and staying power. The guy is disciplined, he's militant, he works so hard. Yeah, and through all that, he's shown that you can go and create this incredible football career. Um, but then you can even bring that down to the kids' level on the football pitch and talk about how what 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 they want out of football yeah, and how their character and how their choices can help them to achieve that. Um, and that could be, you know, we really want to win this game, uh, right? So, and the other team is really fit and strong. So, what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to really think hard about staying there. We're going to have to push ourselves to really stay in this game. And and can we afford to get anyone sent off? Probably not, right? So then we need to really be thinking about managing our behaviour, managing our what we do despite how we're feeling. We might be upset, they may have fouled us, yeah, but can we show the self-control to actually manage that and then translate that into staying power, into, into performance ourselves? Uh, and it's, it's just a great, great tool. It's a great level up. It brings people together. Uh, it helps build community. Um, and if you do it right and you do it smart, you can actually get right down into those fundamentals of, of character and the core of the human person that enables them to be good at the things they want to do. That's, 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 Football has just been amazing. And I'm very, I'm very happy that I discovered it so fully through my life of reach out as well. Definitely. Good, good. 
And, and Pete, what does great mentorship look like? What have you seen as great examples in Reach Out? I think great mentors, there's, there's two really important things in great mentors. One is the ability to build a relationship with a young person. Uh, some are harder than others. And, you know, amazing mentors are, are firstly the ones who manage to put up with the really annoying kids, the ones who are not engaging. Like some of the kids are just, they, they, they are incredible. Like you meet them, they're 13 and your conversation is fantastic from day one and they're open and it's interesting and they're like thinking about stuff and some of them, they're like shut down. They don't want to talk to you. They're not, they're not, they're, you know, it's, it's like getting blood out of stone and you can't talk to them or, or they're distracted and like, you know, causing issues for all the other people in the room and so on. So I think the first thing about being a great mentor is, is people who can find a way to build a relationship with these young people. Um, yeah, because until you have that relationship, you can't impart any kind of real value through what you're doing. The second part of it is mentors who are really thinking about like, where, where does my young person want to go? How can I help them to go to that place? Yeah. And, 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 and how does that fit with what reach out is trying to do with them? Yeah. And then how can we merge that together to try and impart that through whatever we're doing, through our new maths and English work, through our conversation, yeah, about anti-racism or, you know, politics, yeah, or through, through them, like being a passionate footballer, how can I find a way to connect with that young person and help them to find the right things, identify their goals, strategies to work towards them, yeah, to think about character as they go about their daily life, to help them so that they can grow as an individual um, and go and make the right choices that lead them to the place they want to be. And I think that <clears throat> you need that combination of both in order to be able to be a fantastic mentor. I think without one or the other, you're kind of missing that it's not quite going to work. Um, so, yeah, and I think and we're really lucky. I've seen so many incredible volunteers um, do both of them. And I, it's just amazing watching it. Um, and it's really different in a nine-year-old girl in a primary school to a 16-year-old boy in a secondary school. It's like totally different. Uh, and it's really amazing seeing people find the right ways to do that, no matter who the kids are. Uh, yeah. I, I, um, I appreciate we're speaking a lot about young men. It's, it's, it's primarily something I'm very um, passionate about, the development. Uh, but of course, there's, there's the girls' side as well, which is um, usually you do match um, the, 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 the sexes, you know, the, the, the women with the girls and the men with the boys, usually as sort of, I suppose, um, a, a way to really give um, some great leadership. And I remember having some, some, some great conversations with one of the project leaders and for the young men, even sitting there talking about what it is to, to be a man. And those, some of those really deep and um, I suppose insightful conversations that you hear from the, the young fellas is, is just, it's, it's actually really touching to, to hear them sort of open up and, and talk about their experiences and share that. And you're sort of there with um, a, whole, a, a whole bunch of mentors sitting beside you and you're looking at each other just going, this is really profound coming from this young 13, 14 year old. And they're the, the moments that I think you, you do, like I said, get that click and um, something really magical happens. Definitely. Um, I think, I think a space, you know, what we always found is schools might refer kids and say, look, this kid doesn't have any male role models in their life. Can you find them a good male role model? And we would always try to do that wherever we could. And I think the initial, service that was commissioned by Hackney back in 2004 was actually to find male role models, male role models for kids in primary school, um, for boys who they were worried about them getting excluded from school slash involved in crime gangs. Um, 
And that's always been an important thing in what we do. That's not to say that people of different sexes can't be incredible mentors at all. Um, but I think there are young people where it can be a really helpful thing in helping them make progress. And I, and I totally agree. I think I've, I've had loads of great conversations with the kids over the years um, about everything. And, and I think that's a valuable space for them to explore and talk about it openly um, with people that may have different views and also may be able to facilitate them to think a bit more deeply and, and open up their thinking about what the kind of angle that they're coming from as well. Um, I think that's, I think that's important for the kids to have. Definitely. Yeah. And it, you, you've actually brought up the next thing for me, which is around, um, you know, the less fortunate young people, they may not have that role modeling as much in, in a lot of the boroughs that we work with or you work with are, are less fortunate in some ways. And actually I, I do see something I always harp on about is this almost, um, not to put it the wrong way, but this is glorification of, of for young men of being the roadman or sort of being, it, you know, it be, being cool to be on the streets and, and be doing this, that and the other. And actually a big part of that is showing those young people that there's another way, particularly here in the UK. Yeah, definitely. It is a real challenge, I guess, you know, speaking from my own, not particularly evolved <laughs> thinking around it or understanding the situation. Like, I haven't, like I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a philosopher, but we look at young people's lives and you can see the obvious indicators of success that are portrayed to them. Yeah, and not unreasonably, it are, you know, success in music, success in sport, success in media. Um, they're the kind of ones that they're all aiming for. And if you talk to young people, very much so, they're kind of, career ambitions often sort of focus on those areas. But then actually when you come down to their like grassroots level and talk about the success that's shown to them in the space that they live in, right, I think it's actually very prevalent that success in those areas, in inverted commas, is, is, is primarily manifested to them by the people who are involved in crime um, because that's the community that often they live in and they are the ones who are actually show the trappings of money and wealth and power uh, an influence you know, very physically and obviously in their communities. Um, I think most of our kids are actually really aware this is not a good way to go. And I think that there are a lot of positive done like through by all sorts of people in the community. But I think it's a very seductive power as well, um, particularly because of the nature of a gang, a group of young men in particular, you know, offering friendship, offering respect, um, offering a sense of belonging and offering a sense of value um, to people, whether it's true or false, um, and whether they're using them or otherwise. And I think it's really easy for young people to still be lured into that, even though they probably think, you know, this is not a good idea, it's not a good thing, but they end up without really meaning to, to be involved in this stuff. Um, and yeah, I think that it's a real, it's a challenge, and I think it's essential that we collectively find ways to really push different ideas into the forefront of these kids' minds. And I think that needs to be done physically, I think. I, I, I had a talk with one of the guys a few years back. He's doing really well now. And he went to prison at 18. Um, and I, we talked when he came out, a couple of years after he came out. And I was like, look, was it, what, could, what could we have done? Like, was there anything else that Reach Out could have done? And he said, you know what, Pete, I'm not sure anyone could have done anything. Yeah, like he grew up in what is called the Pembury Estate in Hackney. It's a very infamous estate, mm -hmm. serious criminal gang. 
he was involved in gang activity by the time he was 14, 15. Um, and, and yeah, this guy said to me, you know, what, maybe there was one, the only thing that maybe would have made a difference, it would have been to have a really big, active, vibrant youth center, literally in the estate with people they respected, you know, at the heart of that. Um, and that's something to think about. Like, I, I worked, I was a volunteer at BBC Children Need for many years. Uh, I actually um, would recommend grant applications. So I'd review grant applications and recommend them for funding or say no. And I always put forward the ones that were for youth services in a youth, youth centre in a council estate or, or some kind of housing area of, area of deprivation. Um, because I think that if you can find people that are willing to give their lives to that kind of cause, and to work in those conditions, I think they should be supported because I think they have the best chance of reaching those kids that are really the furthest from like things like coming to reach out in school and the most at risk of getting involved in crime um, and really doing some serious harm to their life or someone else's. So I think, yeah, it's, it's an important thing that we try and find more ways, as many ways as possible, to get good role models into these kids' lives. And I think we need to think deeply about is there something that we should do as a country or as a society about thinking about reward and remuneration for those people who actually will work in the front lines and go into those kind of jobs, you know, where we're actually probably the most needed. Yeah. I think that's the yeah. And, and, and for me, it was really to your points there. Um, actually when I first joined reach out, I first moved to the, the sort of mid part of the Isle of dogs near cross Harbor, um, out near Canary wharf. And I was actually living, um, on the estate that they ended up, I found out later, because I watched that that um, that new series of Top Boy, they'd actually filmed that that is the estate um, yeah. that it was that it was actually that I actually lived at, and there were kids that were actually in the stairwells, um, hanging about those stairwells, and it was an intimidating thing. As my first experience coming to London, you know, coming from where I come from in Australia, and actually that that I just that's why I'm just was so passionate about it because you know there is that opportunity to to help those young people as much as possible do you think that it's 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 getting becoming more of a battle do you think it's getting more difficult Pete or do you think what's the sort of direction of this and how's it going I feel like it's the same I feel like it's the same overall interestingly I think I would say Hackney is probably better you know, but I have a very personal experience of Hackney. Um, from what I hear from the young men, like the boys who used to tell me when they were 15, 16, their dream was to leave Hackney. And it's like literally all of them said that. None of them have, and none of them really want to anymore. And we were talking about this. We were talking at football just a couple of days ago. These guys are now 24, 25. And they were saying like, it is a bit of a different place. Like there are still massive issues. And for a teenage boy in the area, it's still a very challenging environment to navigate and a very scary environment to navigate. There are literally places you cannot go and you shouldn't, you know, because they're worried about getting stabbed and, and beaten up. And, but I think there has been some progress uh, in terms of housing. I think there has been some progress in terms of like working with like criminal gangs um, to try and help people get out of them, help to manage their activities. Um, I think there's been a really yeah i think we it has to be thought about how do we get frontline services into those communities still like we talked about youth services getting cut over you know since 2008 and austerity uh, and without going into politics like i think there probably is some policy thought that needs to be done about do we how do we kind of maintain a very physical 
um, and representative um, kind of group of people within these communities that can help all of the community help the kids to, to make the right choices. And given the situation at the moment, I've, I've actually been calling it Voldemort in the podcast to avoid using the C word. <laughs> um, now, Reach Out is primarily on the basis of mentors going to see mentor, mentees, the kids in the classroom or in a physical space. And it's yep. also a requirement that they're at school at the moment. So I suppose without goes without saying, you've probably had a challenging time within the organization. And I, I've actually seen an email from one of your team sort of, booting up this new uh, video conference series or, or initiative yeah. that's coming about as well. How's that been a challenge for you, Pete, and how have you pivoted? So we, at the time in March when schools closed, we were running 59 face-to-face -face mentoring projects supporting about 750 kids a week. Uh, schools closed. We realized that, that they were probably not going to restart this academic year. So we went and actually spoke to our kids. We, we got on the phone. Uh, I say we, not me. Uh, the team who do an amazing job, our project team, uh, got in touch with as many kids as they could. They went in kind of groups of kids, so like 10 kids at Bow School and 10 kids at this school. And they kind of tried to talk to the group about what they were feeling, like what they thought they would like in terms of support from, from Reach Out. Um, they spoke to parents where they could see what parents thought would be useful. We talked to schools and what we got back from kind of this group of people was one, the kids were, they were worried, they were anxious, they were bored, they were lonely. Um, and, and really they were sort of all saying that they wanted someone to speak to. They still actually wanted to speak to their mentor if they have one. Like, all these kids already had a mentor, sorry. Um, but parents kind of echoed that. They were kind of worried about that. Teachers, talked about kids mental health like saying that the real worry for them was actually you know some of the kids isolation some of the kids challenging family backgrounds um some of the kids just actually anxiety but all of them contributing to like an, a deteriorating picture for young people's mental health so we wanted to try and find a way to replicate as much of what we're doing it had been doing for years in an online platform and what we did was we came up with a way of of continuing our mentoring projects where we could um, through what we call Reach Out Home, which is an online mentoring program we run on Zoom. And it's, it's pretty much the same as how we've always operated. We have a project leader, a member of Reach Out staff that opens the session and invites all the kids and the mentors to, to join and have a catch up and they maybe do a group activity. And then we use the breakout room function to give people their individual kind of space to talk to their mentors about how they're feeling, things they want to address. Um, maybe just to catch up it's kind of up to them how they use that time um our project leader can move between the breakout rooms which is yeah. great Good. um and i guess the, the kind of upshot of all this is that we feel like we've come up we, we've found a way to still connect with our kids support them we're up we're nine weeks in for the longest running of these pilots um and the kids are all still turning up which kind of shows that they want to be there because it's very easy to not log on um and uh, yeah like i guess what this all means is that whilst career in Voldemort, sorry, uh, is a challenging <laughs> situation, I feel like we've ridden it out pretty well. And I feel like the organization's got a good team. And I think they've shown, they've shown their quality. Uh, and I, I feel like we're going into, what is it, July uh, tomorrow. And in, in, in not a bad place. I think we feel fairly positive. Like the world's challenging. There's a lot of uncertainty. 
Um, we think we're still, as an organization, doing good work. We think that we're still able to be viable as a business. I think that's always important when you run a, even if you run a charity, it's still a business. Like you employ people, you raise money. Um, and, and I think that our program is definitely connecting with young people. And, and what we need to learn now is how is actually the best way to help them further than this like it's it's good that we just connect that's helping in itself but what how can we do it best uh, and that's our learn that's the thing we need to learn over the next six months yeah that's i'm glad you can continue that and it sounds like it's going really well and they're logging on which is great i guess yeah. it, it's like it, it was it was probably most difficult for them to to get them motivated to come to the physical sessions but it adds a new challenge because like you said they can just physically not log on now and go gaming or doing something else that, really that was my big worry was the gaming you know teenage boys gaming versus mentoring session you know? <laughs> <laughs> having been a teenage boy like it was yeah. you know it was a difficult one so uh, they are they are logging on so far and that's great uh, the project team worked really hard to kind of remind them of the sessions uh, and i've been to a few sessions and it's great to see though uh it's really great um yeah. kids clearly valuing the fact that the mentors are there they're giving up their time and they've clearly got something to say that they want to talk about. Uh, and that's great as well. Good. And do you think there's like an opportunity um, in the wider education system with this, with this break, with this gap to, to maybe change things to, to better suit, be more flexible, look at the actual curriculum and how it maybe lends itself to more like what Reach Out does? There, there's, I said at the start, I, I see opportunities. There's huge opportunity right now. It's going to be, you know, the motivations for what schools choose to do around curriculum and how they invest their, their money is really still going to be driven by what government and, you know, an Ofsted requires of them to deliver and to show that they're an effective school, a good school or an, and so on. Um, I think we will see schools spending, paying a bit more attention to pastoral uh, needs of young people. I think that's probably a good thing overall. I don't say, I'm not saying that academic grades are not important. But what we've heard from schools throughout this period is that they don't care about us supporting young people's academic learning. Um, they care that their kids are not feeling terrible uh, and, and that their kids are well and healthy uh, because if you're not well and healthy, you can't do academic learning either way. Uh, and I think that schools will start to pay a bit more attention to that. Uh, government has released quite a lot of money, a uh, billion pounds, I think, 350 millions in a national tutoring program, 650 million. Uh, for schools to spend as they see fit on their most disadvantaged pupils to help them to to navigate school and get to a point of being a, a young adult who can go and work um, and kind of make a life for themselves. Um, so I'm hopeful that we'll start to see increased attention paid to it, and also and also yeah, it, not just through external agencies like Reach Out, but maybe like within the school as well. Like, what what's actually the priority for for teachers? Uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to look at as well. Yeah. Like you said, I think um, there's like a one-on-one here with the kids and it's actually around them being safe and well and, and happy and being in, in those really ba like in, in a basic sense, making sure they've got those needs, those, um, those sort of meso of hierarchy, <laughs> the initial needs yeah. that they need in their life to, to, to be okay. Um, and I suppose that ties back in with the character development itself anyway. Um, because they can build everything on top of that. You know, when they're not deep into their academic work or their, their schoolwork and they haven't got that, there is still 
that character development piece and those values that really sits at the core of, of, of what you can still teach them through reach out, which I think is really useful. Yeah, exactly. And I think and when we look at what our online program is looking like it's going to be for the next 12, 18 months, um, I don't think we're going to include academic content in it because I think we, we probably feel like we'll be more effective at helping young people build good character um, in an online program than we're trying to tutor them over Zoom. Um, and I think that if we're helping them to build good character, they're much more likely to make the right choices yeah, and go and just make sure they're learning themselves or finding a way to access their school's online class or talk to a friend about how, how to do the homework. And I think that's probably a more important thing. You know, character is a foundational thing. Uh, you can't learn skills without the foundation of character that enables you to put the time and effort into those things. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we will definitely be focusing our intentions around making sure that you know, one, children are, are safe and well. And they're, they're, you talked about Maslow. There are things in there that, you know, must be addressed before young people can build character even. Uh, if, if kids are unsafe, you know, if they have no food and, you know, and so on, they, you know, they're not going to be thinking about, uh, am I showing sustaining power, right? But once we take care of those needs, which, which are essential and, and human rights, you know, then, you know, then our piece is probably coming in the level above that and making sure we're thinking about how they can build good character and start to make good choices. Um, and, and then what can people that, you know, they're, they're just being introduced to reach out now, they're just sort of learning about through this, watching this or listening to this. What, what do you think are the key things you want people to sort of learn from reach out and, and what reach out embodies? Uh, interesting. Key things I think we should learn about reach out. One, reach out is a fantastic charity uh, with a long history of a very tangible impact. Uh, we talk, you know, we try and record data. Uh, I think it's important. For, for me, it was always important that I worked and understood why I was working. I remember my first year working here was hard. Some of the kids' behavior was terrible. And I said to my dad, like, you know, am I like, am I making a difference here at all? Like, you know, what are we doing? And <laughs> it was, you know, that, that's slightly prophetic. You did a good job here. He's like, you know, what, like when these guys like see you in 10 years time, 12 years time, then you'll know. And like, and I'm really fortunate, like I said earlier, that I do get to see hundreds of young people that have come to our program, not necessarily ones that worked with me, that come up to me and say, oh, you're from Reach Out. Reach Out was amazing for me. Reach Out was great for my peers. It helped us have a place to belong to. It helped us put our time into something positive. It kept us out of gangs. It kept us out of crime. It helped me understand that I wanted to go to university. It helped me understand that I wanted to work in this industry. It helped me yeah, pursue those things yeah, and the people around it encouraged me and gave me love and support. And, and I think that it, it's amazing to see an organization where you can actually speak to all those people, hundreds of them that will tell you that. And then at the same time, look at a data set that shows you, yeah, like ours, that, you know, over 150 kids over a five year period, um, Primarily black boys, yeah, got 70% 70, 70 of them got the 5A to C's at GCSE, uh, including maths and English compared to 34% of their peer group. Um, so I think that's one of the things I always want people to know about Reach Out is it makes a difference. Two, you could be part of it. You know, whether you want to give some money, or you want to volunteer as a mentor, there's loads of ways you can be part of it. You can, do, you can be part of it and make a difference yourself. And we, we love everyone who wants to help uh, and, and, be, and, and be involved. And we'll try and find a way for you to do it in, in a way that suits you. Um, the third thing that I would say is 
character. I think, you know, that's our raison d'etre. And it's, like I said, it's universal. It's all of us. It's almost omnipresent. So it's in all the things that we do. Uh, and in all of our lives, as we strive to be good humans and better humans and, and, and probably like a pursuit of happiness. I think it's really clear for, for me and for everyone who works here that thinking about character helps you to do all those things and building your character, practicing it, reflecting and understanding your new little cycle of how I can improve myself yeah, is, is a fundamental piece of that. Uh, and I think they're my, they're my three things about reach out. Everyone can be involved, character is essential um, and it makes a difference. Yeah, very nice. And Pete, as CEO of, of Reach Out, there's just a couple of things I wanted to touch on um, around, uh, I suppose, what's been happening at the moment. But for you, what, what to you is um, really effective leadership, you know, thinking about what you do with your team and everyone around you? Effective leadership? Whew. Broad question. Well, effective leadership. leadership. No, I think it's effective leadership for me and I, I guess I'll answer in the context of how I see my role. Effective leadership, um, I got two, three chunks to it, I think. The first chunk is having a clear pathway that we want the organisation to follow. Um, I think a lot of organisations don't have a clear thing that they're trying to achieve. I think effective leadership in an organisation means that everyone from top to bottom knows what you're doing and why yeah, and the way you're going to do it. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is building a team and developing people. So getting the right people into your organization to help you do that and supporting them to be better and better at their jobs and their lives. Um, I think that's essential uh, in, in a good leader. Uh, and because those are the people that are actually going to do the most of the work, quite frankly, that's just the truth of it. They're the people that, in reach out's case they're the guys that go into the schools and are fantastic with our kids um so yeah building a team um and i think the third part i would flag up is being able to communicate all that to people uh, i think effective leadership without communication it, it just doesn't exist um great leaders have to be able to do the first two things and actually make everyone understand what they're doing it and kind of and, and why and get everyone to buy into it. And I think when you can marry those three things together, you start to have a position where you've got a whole organization that's moving in the same direction and understands why you're doing it. And it starts to kind of create a, a symbiotic flow where everyone's actually just bought in and it just makes things work together um, and you start to achieve. And that's amazing. Um, and I think like you always thought people used to always talk about Alex Ferguson. I think like there was, a, there was a really passing everyone could see like what Alex Ferguson wanted to do. The whole team got in, got got into it, and they just went and did it together all the time, and they were very clear. But yeah, I think they're they're, they're what I would track up as the three key components for me. Yeah, and during this time, has there been anything in particular you've done that's helped keep pe keep people engaged, you know, from all around you, and keep their morale up? Yeah, we tried. So when when we first went into lockdown. My first thought was <clears throat> when schools closed, and, and, I was, I, and I extend our leadership to our trustees. You know, our trustees are you know, effectively my bosses, but they're part of this. Uh, but they were really great throughout, um, and we were really clear that we needed to show people what we were going to do and why and how. And that's where we came up with this idea of reaching at home. Um, 
and then I mean developing people is a more long-term thing but really we actually try really hard to communicate that clearly to everyone all our stakeholders this is where the organizations are this is what's happened this is what we think we want to do and why um, come and help us do it and I think that that's worked quite well um, on a more granular level we try to communicate that to all of our stakeholders we held regular conversations with our staff team particularly those who are furloughed uh, to try and keep them engaged help them to understand what was going on um, when I talk about when I talk with my staff team about our organization I, I try to be as transparent as possible with the team so that they can understand what I understand and therefore they can understand our business decisions and the truth of leadership is sometimes there are hard decisions to be made um, people are more able to accept them and still buy into the organization and want to be part of it if they have that transparency that makes them understand the full reasons behind why things have to be the way they are um, so yeah and I think they're the things we did we did quite well and I'm really pleased we had, I remember after several of the conversations with the team I actually got a few people messaged me after saying that was that was really helpful and well delivered and and we understand and thank you which is nice to hear um, and I guess my chairman always says to me, over-communicating is, is always a good thing um, in, in a leadership role. And I, I think that's not, bad, not a bad mantra. So we try to do that. Yeah, that's good. I'm pleased it's worked out pretty well. I think um, during this time, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of uncertainty. But I think if people can have at least some level of understanding uh, and, you can, and you can try and make as much sense of it as possible, it's always going to help everyone with where we go after this. Because I think it's just as everyone's been talking about, it's just got to be a different way of working in so many ways for so many organizations. And it, I guess it'll shape so many business plans and, and strategies for time exactly. to come. Exactly. Yeah. And, and look, Good. let's be honest, reach out to a small charity. We have 20, 20 odd staff members and 55 part-timers and sessional staff and, and then 750 volunteers. The reality is communicating that to them is actually quite easy and quite personal. Yeah, and yeah, most of the people actually know, uh, maybe a third of those people actually know me personally. Um, so we have that kind of thing. I imagine that translating those things into explaining to the staff at Ryanair you know, what the plans are might be a very, very different and much more challenging task. So we're under no illusions about, you know, we've done good stuff. Um, it's not necessarily easy to replicate. And we're, we're lucky that the business, the business is the way the business is. And that means that we can communicate well with people, I think, on the most part. Yeah. Very good. And um, just finally, Pete, where can people find you if they want to uh, look you up? Oh, uh, I guess me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Peter Blackwell. I, I don't actually know what my LinkedIn username is. But I think for Reach Out, we're www.reachouk.org. And you can always email me on my Reach Out email. It's peter.blackwell at reachouk.org. Uh, but yeah, really happy to talk about anything and, and help people get involved in one or more things if you want to play in a football league all of these is probably the best league in London <laughs> and if you want to be a mentor uh, in a fantastic charity supporting disadvantaged young people um, particularly those from uh, black and ethnic minority communities reach out to an amazing place to give your time or money as well there we go UK listeners and viewers that is for you guys I'll be putting all those links in the description anyway and I'll just wrap up with um, with one question I've been asking um, a guest at the moment Pete what do you think the world needs a little bit less of right now? A little bit less of? Yeah. Fear, man. Right. Just people are worried and it's normal, but I'm not sure it's helpful. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, 
I, I'm a bit of a reckless guy, I guess. Um, it's, it's how like, I, I, I feel comfortable taking risks. I, I, don't, I don't tend not to worry about things. But I, I guess I, I do feel, I remember like the first few weeks of coronavirus, there was this like overwhelming tide of bad news coming and mm -hmm. scaremongering. And I just, I don't know that it was very helpful for anyone's mental health or, or, or practical kind of application to life. Um, and I'm, yeah. And I think that those same, it, I just think there's always an element of, um, it's, not, it's not very helpful to human beings and but in terms of helping us work together and we're just to get over barriers between each other helping us to build good things and it just holds us back uh, appreciation of risks fine fear no yeah that's a good one yeah and i think it's it's good to switch it off at the best of times which i'm sure you've done as well create your own sort of flow of good information coming to you yeah definitely definitely good but mr peter blackwell ceo of reach out all round great guy, thank you so much for your time. If you're still listening or watching, thank you so much for sticking through to the end. If you've got any feedback, inquiries or questions, you can always contact me at thefeelgoodblueprint at gmail.com. Thanks so much and take care.